You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Again, Ephesians 1, the second week in our series on the church, our purpose, our place, and indeed our privilege. Uh, week number one, we answered the question in part. This whole series is answering that question, but in part we answered what is the church And then today we ask and answer the question, who is the head of the church? Who is the head of the church? The answer, of course, is Jesus Christ the Lord. Uh, There's one head to the church. His name is Jesus Christ. Now, here's the key for today. We know this, almost all of us. We know this, but do we live this? That's the question of the day. We know it, but do we live it? Jesus Christ the Lord. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of glory. He is the great I am. It is Jesus Christ who holds the keys to death and Hades. He is the one and the only one. He is coming to judge the living and the dead. Jesus Christ is the creator of all things. He is the giver of life. He is the one in whom all things hold together. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. There is no church apart from Jesus Christ. It should be clear already why this message today is of massive importance to the church. Because without the church or without Jesus Christ, again, there is no church. Oz Guinness, he says it quite well here in this quote. He says this, If Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and hence the source and goal of its entire life, True growth, then, is only possible in obedience to Jesus. Now, conversely, this is helpful, conversely, if the church becomes detached from Jesus Christ, if the marriage, the family, the community, the friends, the church becomes detached from Jesus Christ and his word, it cannot grow. It cannot grow no matter how successful and good intentions it might seem to have. There is no church without the head of the church. Again, we know this, do we live it? We know it, but do we live it? That we cannot exist apart from the head of the church who is Jesus Christ. So few messages carry more importance, carry more weight, and more glory than this one. What a a joy it is to exalt Jesus Christ. This whole message, Jesus, in worship of you. And again, the Holy Spirit, he desires, again, his role is to exalt Christ. And so Holy Spirit, help today, every person listening, every heart, use today again for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23. Take a look there, Ephesians 1, verse 22 and 23 are two verses we will mostly focus on today. And he, God, put all things under his, Jesus' feet, And gave Christ as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, let's look at the context of our passage here, because we jumped into this amazing power portion. But look at verse 18, chapter 1, verse 18. We'll build up more of the context. Paul's prayer. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Awesome. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Listen to this. 
and you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. That's a massive part of what we're studying today. The immeasurable greatness of his power, notice, towards us who believe, faith in Christ, according to the working of his great might. So much power in this text. See, that? there's just power everywhere. The power of God, notice verse 20, that he worked in Christ. You see? So the immeasurable greatness of his power, according to his great might, is through Christ. And now we see these statements of affirmation. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. What a text this is. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, wow, which is his body, wow, the fullness of him, wow, who fills all in all, double wow. All right? Just amazing. Look at that text and how much is there. So who is the head of the church? Jesus Christ is. So point number one from our outline today, here we go. Again, Jesus Christ is, number one, the head over all things. He is the head over all things. Again, verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things. Now, as we set our context in this wonderful passage, I mentioned this briefly already, but it's important that we see Verse 22, and he gave him his head of all things. That is momentum from Paul. It's the third of four affirmations detailing the immeasurable greatness of God's power. Okay, So I want to show these four affirmations to you to get context on the screen for you now. And notice this. The immeasurable greatness of God's power has been demonstrated through Christ. Through Christ how? When God raised him from the dead, when he was seated at the right hand, again, in the heavenly places right now, the third affirmation right in our text, he put all things under his feet, and we're going to see, and he gave him as head over all things. So this is our context right now in Ephesians 1 at the end. It's just such a glorious chapter. And we see here what? An overwhelming display of the power, authority, sovereignty, and the glory of Jesus Christ. So church, know right now, okay, the answer for the church is the head of the church. The answer for our lives is Jesus Christ. The answer for your life and your family, the answer for your purpose and the will of your life and your eternal destiny, there's one answer. And his name is Jesus Christ, and he has been given, again, as the head of the church. Amazing, amazing to see this. I implore you right now to meditate on these truths. Don't just let right now, like, listen to this podcast at 1.5 speed, or not at 1.5 speed. Listen to it in a slowed down version in that sense, so you can, again, drink deep and digest these realities that are just so awesome. In some ways, we're going over them quickly, and yet here they are in their glory and power and beauty. Notice what is sandwiched in between these powerful affirmations of God's power in Christ is verse 21. Look at verse 21. An incredible description of Christ's power and authority. Verse 21 says, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. What is happening here? 
The Bible written by the Holy Spirit, again through Paul right here, is describing that Jesus will absolutely crush his enemies. It's not even close. Jesus Christ is so far above all rule, power, authority, and dominion. Again, you see that in the Greek there, far above. It just means like not even close. Jesus is in a whole other league. All those who would come against him, he obliterates with the word of his mouth. You think about the Bible telling us here, just this massive reality of of winning. Jesus wins. And then we think about that for a second. I mean, who likes to lose? Think about it. I mean, who of us here genuinely likes to lose? Who honestly prefers to lose? Inherently within us all, there's this strong desire to win. It's proven every day in sports, in society, In life, we all have this innate desire, again, to want to win. We have this desire for victory. We have this national, again, election tomorrow. Just exercise your right to vote. Make sure that you vote. It's interesting to me, post-election polls, what often happens is, once a winner is declared and they ask people who they voted for, they will often change their vote or change who they said they voted because they want to feel like they're a part of the winning team. People do that. Because no one wants to hang out with a loser, right? And so people do that because inherently we have this desire for victory and in many ways put there by God. Think, the entire meta-narrative of Scripture is good versus evil. Satan wants to win. We know that. Jesus Christ came to win. Jesus Christ defeating darkness and death and Satan himself. Again, the whole meta-narrative of Scripture is this battle of good and evil to see again in the end who will win. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, at the end of that incredible chapter in the resurrection, he says, but thanks be to God who gives us the The victory, thank you over there, and the Lord Jesus Christ, right? The very purpose of our lives, to have victory over sin and death and, yes, over Satan. So again, I just said it, but loved ones, this just in, Jesus wins, man. He wins, like everything in you, you are following the person who wins. This past week, again, I, I, like, I like sports and cheering for sports teams, and, and my team lost. They lost again. They lost. Jesus never loses. Yes, he won again today, undefeated all time. He will never, ever lose. It's just so awesome to be able to say that and to believe it and to know it's true. His power unparalleled, his glory unmatched. This whole passage is declaring that Jesus is and will be undefeated forever. In verse 21, we see supernatural beings described with four words. You see it there in verse 21? Rule, authority, power, and dominion. What's going on here? These are specifically describing the demonic forces that oppose Christ and his followers. In other places, Paul refers to them as demons, principalities, spiritual forces, or rulers. Notice, all these diverse descriptions of demonic forces tell us what? Tell us that these spiritual forces of darkness should not be trivialized or ignored. Paul took them very seriously. It allows us to recognize who our battle is truly against. By the way, on this note too, think about this. The church is so different than any other community or club or team or league or organization. Why? No other community, club, league or organization is opposed 
in direct conflict and at battle with Satan and his demons. Your softball team, your bowling league, whatever it might be, it's not opposed by Satan and its demons. Satan has one specific target of destruction and division and deception. It's the church and all the followers of Jesus Christ. Think about that. No wonder this is hard sometimes. No wonder other parts of society seem to be like, oh, we're doing fine, everything's happy, we're all rosy. And we're in here and there's pain and there's heartache and there's temptation of division and there's leadership challenges and all the sin that tries to come in and try to wreck stuff and false teaching and all the spiritual forces of darkness that are here trying to ruin and destroy the very reality of the church. No wonder then. Again, church, listen, all those right now listening, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Ephesians 6. It is against rule and power and authority and spiritual forces of darkness. This present darkness, that is our battle. We must be aware of that. Let us not fight against ourselves. That's exactly what Satan wants. Let us recognize the true enemy, where he is and again where he stands, that we might be clear in our mission and to understand again the reality of why we're here and who we're serving, Jesus Christ. Just on this note right now too, I was thinking of Revelation 12, 17, just further proof of Satan's intent. Look at how he looks at the church. Then the dragon, Satan, became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. Look at Satan here. He's furious. He's so angry. And he's not coming to make friends. He's coming to make war. His whole Specific intention. You see, if you see this at the end times and what's happening, the furiousness to make war on the rest of her offspring, those who follow the ways of the Lord Jesus. Look at, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus, they are the ones that are opposed, again, by the dragon Satan coming to try to devour them. Let us not be unwise. Let us be men, women, and children of prayer. Let us hold fast to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And seek obedience to him and understand this is not a game. This is not a game. Hey, can you sense right now forces of darkness coming at you? Can you sense in many ways the different ways that Satan's trying to lie and get between and ruin and whatever might be trying to destroy? Let us become wise. And listen, this is where Jesus Christ is everything, man. You hold fast to the head. We'll see that in just a few moments, man. Jesus Christ. In verse 21, he is far above all forces of evil. But notice also in verse 21, Paul lists the four type labels of these demonic forces. But just in case someone say, well, what about this? Then he says in verse 21, notice, notice. He says, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So meaning that, man, just in case there's this like anyone we might have missed, Jesus Christ is the name above every single name ever, whether now, in the past, or in the age to come, Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. No wonder then we sing such songs of triumph, huh? No wonder we sing such victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Songs that say, you have no rival, you have no equal, now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory, yours is the name above all names. What a powerful name it is. There's no name like the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, no rival, no equal. Jesus Christ is the best. No evil, no demon, no spirit will ever rival the supremacy and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And make sure you know, just as the demons in the gospel shook with fear as Jesus came near, what will you do with us? What will you do with us, O Holy One, Son of God? 
When Jesus Christ returns, in the end, demons will ultimately shake and they will tremble in fear because they cannot do a single thing against the power and the glory of the universal Lord Jesus Christ. So we see here right now, man, just say, man, Jesus Christ, he's the head over all things. If I were you, I would put all my eggs in the basket of Jesus Christ. Like every single one. You can't lose. You can't lose. You can't lose. Hey, listen, listen. We know this. Do we live it? We know this, but are we living our lives like Jesus Christ is the head over all things? Point number two, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Listen, for the church. He's the head of the church for the church. Look at verse 22 now. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things. Listen, listen, to the church. You see that? To the church, which is his body. So this is awesome. Another way to look at this. Jesus Christ was given by God to the church for the benefit of the church, for the flourishing of the church. Jesus Christ is head over all things, the creator of all things, sovereign over all things. And God's like, as a gift and the benefit to the church, I'm going to give the creator, ruler, sovereign over all things, my son, as your head, as your leader, as CEO, as the one who gives life and life to the full. He is for the blessing, the benefit, and the flourishing of the church. This is our head, Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now think about it. In sports, when there's a number one draft pick, okay, some of you are not sports people, whatever, and some of you are, but every, all, the, all the pro leagues, they, they have a draft every year. And in the draft, they're trying to get the best possible player. So the first round, the number one draft pick, first round's a big deal. They get the, the cream of the crop, the best talent. But then in each draft, there's the number one overall pick, the first person drafted. And that is such a big deal for every sports team and franchise because that number one overall pick, the hope and the prayer is this is the game changer, the franchise changing player. Like, for instance, Connor McDavid, number one overall pick, Right? LeBron James, number one overall pick, franchise-changing players. And the number one reason teams draft these players is so they can all get along and have fun. No, no, no. The only reason they draft these players is to win. Yes, the only goal for every sports team at the end is to win and not lose. And the best players equal the best chance at victory. Well, how about the church? The church has received the number one overall draft pick. Let's just call it for what it is, all time, forever and ever. And his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is truly the game changer of game changers. The glory and the power that resides in the Lord Jesus. And just in case you're not sure the resume of Jesus Christ, here's the resume of our number one draft pick, okay? There it is. They take a, you could spend hours on this one. This is the head of our church, he is the power of God. He is life itself. He is the great I am. He is the great physician. Again, he is the mighty one of Jacob. He is the lamb of God. He is the witness. He is the righteous servant. He is the holy one. He is Lord almighty man. He is the gift of God, the bright and morning star. He is the judge, the teacher, the way, the truth. I go on and on and on and on and on. This is, do you want to clap for that man? Clap for Jesus. Woo! Again, again, loved ones, take heart. This is, this is who's leading us. This is the head of the church. This is Jesus Christ the Lord. All these hundreds of words I'm not even getting to. Jesus Christ, again, this, this is our number one draft pick. 
Love him, worship him, serve him, pray to him, draw from him. And you think about it, how has the church been able to change the world forever? It has. How has the church been able to do that the last 2,000 years? One answer, Jesus Christ. How did the church possibly start from a few nobody disciples? Tax collectors, a couple fishermen, nobodies, no education. And they changed, turned the world upside How? How? The answer is Jesus Christ. How has the church literally received billions of saved and changed people from every tribe, tongue, and nation? The answer is Jesus Christ. How has the church persevered through onslaughts of persecution and affliction over all these centuries? Jesus Christ. How has the church been used to transform society and even found nations? Jesus Christ. And why will the church never ultimately falter or fail or be diminished? Because Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Because Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead on Easter Sunday morning, defeating death forever and ultimately rendering Satan ultimately defeated. And that time is coming once and for all so very soon. Jesus Christ is the one who offers forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Jesus Christ, the Lord. Even you today, you're here right now. And you have a chance to have your sins forgiven forever and have life in the Lord Jesus Christ that you may never die. This is why Jesus Christ came. He's the head of the church. And he could be the entire head of your life and the one who will judge the living and the dead and receive you into eternal glory. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. What does that mean exactly? This, this word was used in ancient Greek uh, very often. It was also used in Judaism. It was extensively used by Greek medical writers and many Jewish texts. Each use of this metaphor, speaking of the head, there is an unequivocal sense the head represented leadership and authority. Our text is crystal clear. There is one head of the church, and his name is Jesus Christ. Consider the, consider the glory attributed to Jesus in our text, right? We consider the attributes listed that we've gone through. Consider the weight and the magnitude of this, all pointing to Jesus Christ. Now consider then Jesus Christ, the head of the church, and the radiance of God's glory. Jesus Christ, the creator of all things. Jesus Christ, the sovereign ruler. Imagine then you equated a mere mortal man as the head of the church. That would be problematic, wouldn't it? If you started to say that a mere mortal human on earth, and you called him the head of the church. Now, this is the dangerous territory that the Catholic Church enters into and the Pope. Think about it. Charles Spurgeon, he, he used these words of strength. He said this. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers ever, 19th century. For any mortal to assume head of the church to himself, we conceive would be equal in blasphemy to the assumption of the mediatorial office. So flow what he's saying here. And we should be no more shocked to hear a man claim to be the creator of all things than we are now when a mortal is designated head of the church. See what Spurgeon is saying? If, you're, if someone's going to say he's the head of the church, you've got to say basically you're, you're the son of God. If you're going to call yourself the head of the church, then you have to call yourself the creator of all things, the Lord of glory. 
the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, because they're one in the same in terms of authority and power and rule and majesty. Spurgeon would also say this. He says, these popes die, so how could the church live if the head is dead? I think that's a fair point. If there's a head of the church assigned by whoever, and then that person dies, well, that's a problem for the church, isn't it? Because the head that is dead is not very helpful for the church. But, of course, the head is not dead, is it, church? Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and he died but rose again, and now he reigns in heaven forever, soon to return and gather all those that are his. Jesus Christ the head of the church, and we are his body. You see there in verse 22, it says, head over all things to the church, and then verse 23, which is his body? The church is the body that belongs to the head, Jesus Christ, and then the body of Christ. Now question, what can a body do without a head? Hmm, not much. Not much, right? Not much at all. In fact, what is a body without a head? A body without a head is a carcass. It's a gruesome corpse. It is, right? It's gross. There's a reason that all through the ages when they really want to lay down the punishment on someone, they put them in the guillotine and cut off their head. The head's gone, man. The body's dead. It's done. What good is a body without a head? It's not, it's not good at all. It begins to rot on the ground. You know, what a stark warning and statement to liberal churches in our day. See, why do you say that? Well, if you deny the deity of Christ, if you deny the authority of God's word, which Jesus Christ wrote by his spirit, then you just lost the head. And when you lose the head, you lose all power and all life. When you lose the head and you call yourself a church, you become a corpse. You might be a country club. You might be a social gathering. You might be a place of good works. You are not a place that's alive with the Lord Jesus Christ. If a church loses Jesus Christ as the head, there's no Jesus, there's no Holy Spirit, there's no salvation, there's no life change, there's no power. Listen, there's no point. There's no point. Except if you're Satan. And if you're Satan, you're like, perfect, yes, a church that isn't actually a church. But people keep coming and thinking it's something good, but in reality, they're not alive in Christ, and there's no path of salvation because there's no Jesus. Satan tackles with the light. Pretty clever, isn't he? But ultimately, a church without Jesus and Holy Spirit and no salvation and no life changing, no power, there is no point. Jesus Christ said, heaven and earth will pass away. My words will not pass away. So again, if you deny the inerrancy of Scripture and you deny the authority of Jesus Christ in Scripture, then you start swimming with the world and before you know it, you just lost Jesus. And when you lose Jesus, you lose the head of the church. As a head is to a body, Jesus is to the church. Jesus as presented and defined in Scripture. Again, the Lord of glory, the King of kings. What good is a body without a head? It's dead. Think about it. What, what good is an arm without the head right now? Like, like even for me, you know, the head and the brain able to say, oh, move, move, you know, and, and do so. What good is a hand or an arm without the head? It's dead. What good is a leg without the head? A leg is useless. The head is required for all things in every part, again, of the body. Every believer of all time derives 100% of their spiritual life from Jesus Christ, 
the head of the church. I want you to hear that. I want you to understand that. Every single true believer, 100% of your spiritual life comes from the head, Jesus Christ, as you abide in the vine. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Every single, there's not one exception to this rule here, or not one here, overflow, outside, every single person alive in Jesus Christ, 100% of your spiritual vitality derives from Jesus Christ. Now, we know it, do we live it? We nod our heads in agreement, do we walk in obedience with the reality of the spiritual truth? We know it. Do we live it? Do we live it? And let's just admit right now, some here, some on the front lawn, some upstairs, some listening elsewhere, some watching online, let's admit some of us have wandered. In recent weeks, months, we have wandered from the head. What happens when we start to wander away from the head of the church? Colossians 2 is very helpful here, man. I love this cross-reference to our passage. Notice, holding fast to the head, of course, Jesus Christ. Look at the impact. From whom the whole body nourished and knit together. I love this description. Through its joints and ligaments. Look at the detail there. Grows with a growth that is from God. Colossians 2 was written in the context, false teachers were leading believers in the church away from holding fast to Christ through legalism and asceticism and again principles of human, again, obedience on on, on legalism. And no, no, no. If you fail to hold fast to the head, you won't be nourished, you won't be knit together, and you cannot grow. See that? If there's one thing we do in this life, it's hold fast to the head, Jesus Christ, abide in him. That's where we get our nourishment. That's how we are knit together. And this is how we grow a growth that is from God. The greatest purpose and privilege in life is being a part of the body of Christ, which is joined to the head, which of course is Jesus Christ, the Lord. Oh, church, we do not stand a chance apart from Jesus. Your marriage does not stand a chance apart from Jesus. Your family does not stand a chance apart from the head of the church, Jesus Christ. Your group, your community, your future, your wisdom, your strength, your soul does not stand a chance apart from the head of the church, Jesus Christ. We are nourished and knit together with a growth that comes from God. So loved ones, right now, one of these spiritual times of wisdom and principles, convince yourself right now, convince yourself a body without a head is a corpse. Convince yourself of that. Because Satan will tell you everything in the opposite direction. You're fine, it's all good, man, have fun, live life, go do this, man, go get high on that thing over there and go live and just induce your whole life in pleasure and luxury, whatever it is. Oh, don't worry about that. Or the church, the church, oh, it's irrelevant. No, no, no. A life without a head is a corpse. A body without a head is a corpse. Think about it. If we believe this to be true, man, how does that change our prayer meetings? When you know how much the body needs the head, nourished and knit together, how does that change when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you do? How does that change how you view your purpose your passion, your priorities? How does this change how you see the community of believers? Now, understand this. A body is not an individual. 
a body is a collective of many members forming a body. So some right now are being told and convinced they can be a body attached to the head on their own. Not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. In the end, long term, to be a part of the body is to be together. That's why I'm telling you, man, I could just lovingly, graciously, pastorally, like online church can't last forever. It just, it, it can't hold up to the scrutiny of God's word. It just, it, it just can't. We are designed as a community and a body to be together and we are designed to encourage one another and not neglecting to meet together. Again, we are designed in this way for the Lord to use this, how he gets the most glory again. Again, it's not an individual, it's a body of members coming together attached to the head of the Lord Jesus Christ who gives us his power and allows us to know our purpose for this life, which is such a great lead into point number three, our final one. Jesus Christ is the head who fills the church with power. He fills the church with power. Look at verse 23, okay? Head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. Wow. The fullness of Christ who fills all in all. The fullness of him who fills all in all. If it wasn't enough, right? If all so far wasn't enough in Ephesians 1, Paul's theological cup is running over, running over with glory. The inexhaustible head of the church. Now we learn this, that Jesus fills the church with himself. The fullness. The fullness of him. One chapter later in Ephesians 3, Paul will pray that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Think about that, man. Jesus Christ fills the fullness of Christ in the church. This is the reason we've survived all these years like the church over 2,000 years, the fullness of Christ. Think about that too, the fullness of Christ, the fullness of Christ. Oh, how we settle for so little. Think about that. The fullness of Christ. How we settle for so little. We're so content with, as C.S. Lewis said, hanging out in the slums making mud pies when we have just forgone the vacation at the beach. We're content with so little what is, what is the number one thing that prevents the power of Christ in our lives? What's the number one thing that grieves the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? The number one answer to that, and really the only answer, I hear many of you saying already, is our sin. I want you to see that. Our sin is what blocks the fullness of Christ from being experienced through our individual lives. And then as we come, it's not fatigue, it's not circumstance, it's not a pandemic, it's not someone else, it's not some uh, element or circumstance again within our lives. No, no, no. The number one reason we block or we do not experience the presence and fullness of God as individuals is our own sin. Our own sin. And we'll deal with some of that in the weeks to come as well. But the reality, the reality to know, again, the forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ and what he desires, again, the fullness of him in our lives to the church. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, may we see this and may we drink from your well. May we worship your name. May we pray for his strength. May we repent of our spirit-grieving sin. May we seek him for renewal 
and revival. Lord, please, please hear our prayer for this. And I pray it is growing in numbers and in the hundreds of people praying for these things. There is no greater privilege than belonging to the body of Christ, led by the head of the church, who is Jesus Christ. Question, what do you need to say to him today in response to this message? What do you need to say to him today? Let me help you with that. I sat down at my desk this week and I I thought of a few things that we could say together to the Lord and things that in my heart too. In response today, Lord Jesus, to this message, in response to your power and glory and your beauty and your supremacy and your unparalleled beauty. In the light of your glory, Lord Jesus Christ, I repent of my selfishness for you alone are glory. I repent of my unbelief for you hold all the power. I repent of my spiritual laziness for you are my purpose. I repent of my worldliness because Lord you are my source of joy. One more slide. I mean, who is this for right now? I mean, who can the Lord be using and speaking to right now? I repent of my lukewarm heart. You are my affection. I repent of having a critical spirit, God. You are the head of the church. I repent of my prayerlessness. When you are the king of the kings. And then maybe this. Someone here right now. Someone upstairs, someone outside, someone listening, someone watching. Lord Jesus, today I repent of my sin. Lord Jesus, today I believe that you are my Lord and my Savior. And Lord Jesus, today I receive you as such. And I pray that you will grant me eternal life forever. How awesome that would be. And then you, you belong to the King of glory. and You will never die. And you will live forever. Jesus Christ the King of kings, Jesus Christ. The name above all names, Jesus Christ. The Lord of glory and power, Jesus Christ, the head of the church. Let's pray, loved ones. Let's pray. Maybe just take a moment on your own right now and what do you want to say personally to Jesus? What prayer do you offer? What statement do you make? He is listening. He is listening. Lord, I pray there's much repentance and so healthy, it's so right that we would undam the blockage of sin in our lives and we would unleash the worship of Jesus Christ from our souls and hearts. Lord, in this season, in this church, please move in power Move in glory. Show us, Lord, show us your glory. Show us your power. Even now as we sing, I pray you will engage every heart and you will lead us to yourself. We, we honor you. We acknowledge, we extol you. We love you, Jesus Christ, head of the church. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing in the song.